Welcome to A Journey Through the Message. My name is Robert. And my name is Heidi. And we are so glad that you decided to show up for episode 41 because as everybody I'm sure knows, there was a sing-along yesterday. Oh, it was moving. And if you are still here after that sing-along, then that says something about you or I don't know if you're a glutton for punishment or what it is. Oh, and here I thought that, that song was going to start a revival over here. It could start a revival. It, I just I just couldn't do another list. I mean, I had to I had to figure out a way to shake it up. I uh, you know, I do believe choirs across the country are going to be singing the Exodus chapters now. Well, you know, if I can't start a revolution somehow, I mean I know you're starting an Exodus revolution. An Exodus singing revolution. <laughs> Oh, I love the Bible, though. I really do. And it really just goes to show the detail-oriented nature of God and how He wants to be intimately involved with the details of our life. Yes. And we're moving today into the book of Leviticus. Mm -hmm. And so it'll be our first uh, little delve into Leviticus. And honestly, this has been a book that I have really just kind of skipped over. There's not a lot of references in my life where I'm like, oh, I want to go to the book of Leviticus. Let's see what Leviticus has to say about this situation in my life. So I'm going into today with Leviticus. We're going to read a little uh, Mm pre-thing going into Leviticus, but I'm really going into Leviticus with the thought of, I just want to be shown like why these things are important. And I also want to be, uh, I don't know, just comforted by the fact that God is intimately involved with those details. Absolutely. I just wanted to say that it dawned on me that what this has taught me coming and reading with you all the time through Mm. the Bible, you can literally have fun and laugh as you're reading through the Bible and learning. God has the best sense of humor. Are you kidding? I know. And but when something that used to be tedious because it was forced on me has become an absolute joy. What God is interested in is just me drawing close to Him and wanting to know more and just to talk about Him with people. Because of what I'm going into, I'm feeling like this is the best practice for learning to be comfortable talking to people about God's Word. Isn't it funny how He works like that? It's Neither remarkable. ever done anything like this Never. before. But it is truly preparing us for some things that we know are going to be in the future. So this was God's way of just saying, hey, just be obedient to me and I'm going to lay some stuff out there for you. And uh, I just want to see you follow this path. Yeah. He approves of our reading (laughs) through the Bible. I think that I can imagine Jesus laughing when he hears what we say or our comments or... He's probably called me a baby Christian at times, or it's like, "Mm, she didn't quite get that one right. But the desire to know him better is what puts the smile on the face of God. Amen. So God, just always make opportunities for us to make you smile evident in our life. Just allow us to be fully present in the moments that you give us, the moments that you give us with other people and light our path so that we know the right way to go. And God, 
help us to better understand that coming to you, whether it's in prayer or in discussions over your word, it doesn't have to be a big fancy production. Help us to be comfortable with just regular conversation Mm. about you. Let us come to you in regular conversation so it's personal, just you and God talking. Chit chats with God. Absolutely. Just get comfortable with that. Let God help us to be comfortable coming as we are. In your presence. Amen. I know it's like we're walking into the presence of this king in this huge palace and that can be intimidating, but change your view of God today and have it be a father with his outstretched Mm, arm. A father that loves you so much and is so glad to have Mm. you there. And his arm is outstretched and he's just saying, just come back to me. Just follow me. My yoke is easy. So I'm waiting uh, for you. Put that in our hearts today and just give us the realization that we are yours and you are ours. Um, That is just such a beautiful place to be. So, Father God, uh, bless our reading today. I ask this all in your holy name. I pray. Amen. Amen. It struck me as you finished up that prayer that how unfathomable that God chose to live in us. Broken, flawed, ridiculous from the get-go humans. Just That just awes me. And so today, Heidi is going to be starting out in Matthew. I am. Yes. We ready to do this? We are. What uh, What's the verses in chapter? Matthew 17. We're reading 1 through 13. Perfect. All right. Six days later, three of them saw that glory. Jesus took Peter and the brothers, James and John, and led them up a high mountain. His appearance changed from the inside out, right before their eyes. Sunlight poured from his face. His clothes were filled with light. Then they realized that Moses and Elijah were also there in deep conversation with him. Peter broke in, Master, this is a great moment. What would you think if I built three memorials here on the mountain? One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was going on like this, babbling, A light radiant cloud enveloped them, and sounding from deep in the cloud a voice, This is my son, marked by my love, focus of my delight. Listen to him. When the disciples heard it, they fell flat on their faces, scared to death. But Jesus came over and touched them. Don't be afraid. When they opened their eyes and looked around, all they saw was Jesus, only Jesus. Coming down the mountain, Jesus swore them to secrecy. Don't breathe a word of what you've seen. After the Son of Man is raised from the dead, you are free to talk. The disciples, meanwhile, were asking questions. Why do the religion scholars say that Elijah has to come first? Jesus answered, Elijah does come and get everything ready. I'm telling you, Elijah has already come, but they didn't know him when they saw him. They treated him like dirt, the same way they are about to treat the Son of Man. That's when the disciples realized that all along he had been talking about John the Baptizer. Mm, That's 
they finally start to understand. Yes. There was a little pause here, and it says uh, for the first eight verses of chapter 17. I'm excited to see what he says because there's something I wanted to mention. Mm. I love something in the beginning of this oh, chapter. Oh, so good. Mm -hmm. Jesus was transfigured before the disciples' eyes. One possible translation of the Greek word is metamorphosed. Elsewhere in the New Testament, it's rendered transformed. In other words, the reality that was inside of Jesus got outside of him so that now the disciples could see it. Not only was this true of Jesus, it's true of you and me. Paul wrote about it in his letter to the Romans. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Or as I translated it, this is Eugene Peterson uh, speaking here, he says, be changed from the inside out. And this is Romans 12, verse 2, so be changed from the inside out. The same Greek word that's used to describe Jesus' transformation in Matthew is used in Romans to describe our transfiguration. What happens to Jesus happens to us, but it happens to us by the renewing of our minds. As we listen to him and as we look at him, as we linger with him, a transformation occurs and the beauty that is his becomes ours. Now I have two things. Okay, just real, I'm excited. Just real quick. So just on what Eugene Peterson said, mm -hmm. it was almost a teary moment for me as I thought about what it was that he was saying. And I have seen people who have just been speaking with such joy about their faith, sharing their testimony, um, coming up out of the water of baptism. Mm -hmm. There are times when you see what just almost seems to be like a light. They light up, their appearance is different, they shine, but it's not like this glow in the dark thing. I can't explain it beyond that, but something is radically different. And I love to think that that's what we're seeing is the results of the Spirit. But what I wanted to mention to you mm -hmm. is, then they realized that Moses and Elijah were also there. Mm. <laughs> I love that so much. I used to think, oh, Moses, everything you did in your punishment was you could not enter the promised land. Yeah. And he died overlooking it, but not... Not being able to enter. Yeah. And then it's like, I have chills because not only did he enter the promised land and see the promised land, he got to do it with Jesus. I mean, I'll take that any day over seeing it with a bunch of sweaty, whiny, <laughs> let's make a graven image bunch of people. But to me, it's such a reminder of how amazing and loving our God is. Yeah, Moses, you did have to pay a penalty for what you chose to do, but just you wait. I don't think you're going to feel like you missed out. Yeah, no, absolutely not. And now I'll be picking up in Acts uh, chapter 23 and reading verse 12 to the end of the chapter. The next day, the Jews worked up a plot against Paul. They took a solemn oath that they would neither eat nor drink until they had killed him. 
Have you noticed that the Jews stay very busy cooking up plots, trying to get Paul? He is not a favorite person of them. He has made some enemies. Over 40 of them ritually bound themselves to this murder pact and presented themselves to the high priest and the religious leaders. So that would be like us going up to our pastor and saying, hey, so we don't like that group of uh, Baptists down the street or whatever. So uh, we're going to go on a murdering pact against them and uh, we're just going to take care of the Baptists. How about that? Oh, yeah. And Chad's like, let's go do this. So we bound ourselves by a solemn oath to eat nothing until we have killed Paul, but we need your help. Send a request from the council to the captain to bring Paul back so that you can investigate the charges in more detail. We'll do the rest. Before he gets anywhere near you, we'll have killed him. You won't even be involved. Paul's nephew, his sister's son, overheard them plotting the ambush. He went immediately to the barracks and told Paul. It's funny how uh, God has his people in place. I know. I had this in a lecture a couple weeks ago. We we studied this. Mm. Paul called over one of the centurions and said, Take this young man to the captain. He has something important to tell him. The centurion brought him over to the captain and said, The prisoner Paul asked me to bring this young man to you. He said he has something urgent to tell you. The captain took him by the arm and led him aside privately. So what is it? What do you have to tell me? Paul's nephew said, the Jews have worked up a plot against Paul. They are going to ask you to bring Paul to the council first thing in the morning on the pretext that they want to investigate the charges against him in more detail. But it's a trick to get him out of your safekeeping so that they can murder him. Right now, there are more than 40 men lying in ambush for him. They have all taken a vow to neither eat nor drink until they have killed him. The ambush is set. All they're waiting for is for you to send him over. The captain dismissed the nephew with a warning. Don't breathe a word of this to a soul. The captain called up two centurions. Get 200 soldiers ready to go immediately to Caesarea. Also, 70 cavalry and 200 light infantry. I want them ready to march by nine o'clock tonight. And you'll need a couple of mules for Paul and his gear. We're going to present this man safe and sound to Governor Felix. Then he wrote this letter. From Claudius Lysus to the Most Honorable Governor Felix. Greetings. I rescued this man from a Jewish mob. They had seized him and were about to kill him when I learned that he was a Roman citizen. So... I sent in my soldiers. Wanting to know what he had done wrong, I had him brought before the council. It turned out to be a squabble turned vicious over some of their religious differences, but nothing remotely criminal. The next thing I knew, they had cooked up a plot to murder him. I decided that for his own safety, I'd better get him out of here in a hurry. So I'm sending him to you. I'm informing his accusers that he's now under your jurisdiction. The soldiers, following orders, took Paul that same night to safety in Antipatris. In the morning, the soldiers returned to their barracks in Jerusalem, sending Paul on to Caesarea under guard of the Calvary. The Calvary entered Caesarea and handed Paul and the letter over to the governor. After reading the letter, the governor asked Paul what province he came from and was told, Cilicia. Then he said, I'll take up your case when your accusers show up. 
he ordered him locked up for the meantime in King Herod's official quarters. Mm. It is astonishing how God uses so many means to get people where he needs them to be. Just all these little pieces, and it's showing God doesn't miss a detail. Absolutely not. And people like these crazy Jews that were trying to kill him and plot his death, it doesn't matter. Like, they can try and do all that stuff and God will make a way. When God wants it done, it gets done. So to whoever's out there that needs to hear this right now, Mm -hmm. if you have people against you, if you have people that just are not on your side, don't worry, God's on your side. Just turn to him with it. Yes. And he will make a way. If he made a way for Paul, I guarantee he will make a way for you. He makes ways for us all the time. All the time he makes ways Mm -hmm. for us. How it happens, why it happens, I mean, just little things, but it's always confirmation that I'm here. I got you. Don't sweat it. Mm -hmm. It's remarkable sometimes to look back over my past year and it's like, oh, the... (laughs) It, it just is mind-blowing to me. I still pinch myself some days. It's like, is this really my life right now? I wouldn't change where I am for anything. And get out your Kleenexes because it is time to rewind back to the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's play a fun little game of, can Robert guess what in here grabbed me? I will gladly try and guess. All right. Usually it's because I burst into tears or something. That's it's it's a tell. I would not be a good poker player. Heidi would be a terrible poker player. She would either be crying or jumping up and down for joy or something, but uh, a very easy face to read. Yes. I'm not going to Vegas, so (laughs) I hear things happen there. So Yeah, not good things. (laughs) All right. We're going to read Psalm 38 today. Take a deep breath, God. Calm down. Don't be so hasty with your punishing rod. Your sharp-pointed arrows of rebuke drop blood. My backside stings from your discipline. I've lost 20 pounds in two months because of your accusation. My bones are brittle as dry sticks because of my sin. I'm swamped by my bad behavior, collapsed under an avalanche of guilt. The cuts in my flesh stink and grow maggots because I've lived so badly. And now I'm flat on my face, feeling sorry for myself, morning to night. All my insides are on fire. My body is a wreck. I'm on my last legs. I've had it. My life is a vomit of groans. Lord, my longings are sitting in plain sight. My groans an old story to you. My heart's about to break. I'm a burned-out case. Cataracts blind me to God and good. Old friends avoid me like the plague. My cousins never visit. My neighbors stab me in the back. My competitors blacken my name. Devoutly they pray for my ruin. But I'm deaf and mute to it all. Ears shut, mouth shut. I don't hear a word they say. Don't speak a word in response. What I do, God, is wait for you. Wait for my Lord, my God, you will answer. I wait and pray so they won't laugh me off, won't smugly strut off when I stumble. I'm on the edge of losing it. The pain in my gut keeps burning. I'm ready to tell my story of failure. I'm no longer smug in my sin. 
My enemies are alive and in action, a lynch mob after my neck. I give out good and get back evil from God-haters who can't stand a God-lover. Don't dump me, God. My God, don't stand me up. Hurry and help me. I want some wide open space in my life. I love that. I was thinking Mm -hmm. uh, the I'm ready to tell my story of failure. Yeah? Yes. Yes. Mm. I'm ready to tell my story of failure. I'm no longer smug in my sin. The reason that speaks volumes to me, one of the most terrifying thing a person can do is to openly own their faults, their failures, where they were wrong. What I found is that's a human thing. We put that on ourselves and we make it into something that it's not because what I found out when I finally started doing that is that the freedom and joy I have found in it, I don't sit here waiting around for somebody to discover something or learn something or I have no fear of that. Living an open, transparent life has been the best decision I have ever made and the best gift I've ever given myself. I remember when I got out of prison in 2015, there was somebody that was kind of close to me, but they were very against me. They were very against the changes that I had made. They didn't want to see and they accused me of a lot of things. Some were true, Mm -hmm. some were not. And I felt this welling up inside of me, like I have to defend myself. I have to stand Mm. up for my honor. And Oh, yeah. And I spoke with a friend of mine about it, and he said, does it matter? Hmm. Really? Does it matter? Because you know the truth. The people that are around you right now know the truth. So why don't you just focus on that? Let that noise go where it is because there's no legs to that noise. Right. Right. It's just chatter that's trying to get you to react. Mm-hmm. And so I just took the stance of I'm not going to react. And I owned what I did. Mm-hmm. And that part of it was freeing because now you're saying, yeah, I messed up. I messed up big. And wow. God's grace is so amazing that he still chose to come after me. The sheep that was at the edge of the cliff ready to fly off because I'm walking around blindly. Mm -hmm. God is ready to just snatch me back. Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt. And so now I'll be reading the intro to Leviticus and... Again, I thought, you know, up to this point, I thought, man, Leviticus, it's just not one of those books I'm going to spend a lot of time in. And if you've thought like that too, I'm going to challenge you. Let's just read Leviticus together and let's see what we can find. Because I guarantee there's going to be a nugget of something in there Mm -hmm. that's going to change my life. And I hope it does something for you too. I'm making a confession here. Yes. This will be my first time reading through Leviticus. Oh. Mm Mm-hmm. Brand spanking new little Leviticus you know, I've, baby. I, I'm I've dabbled. <laughs> you dabbled in Leviticus. I dabbled in Leviticus, but I didn't immerse myself in it because I didn't open my mind. Let's see what Eugene Peterson has to say in the intro. Oh my good to friend Leviticus. Eugene. Yes. Yes. One of the stubbornly enduring habits of the human race is to insist on domesticating God. We are determined to tame him, to reduce him to a size that conveniently fits our plans, Mm. our ambitions, and our tastes. 
Our scriptures are even more stubborn in telling us that we can't do it. God can't be fit into our plans. We must fit into His. We require much teaching and long training for living in response to God as He is and not as we want Him to be. The book of Leviticus is kind of an extended timeout for instruction, a detailed and meticulous preparation for living holy in a culture that doesn't have the faintest idea what holy is. It's a narrative pause. Our ancestors are on their way, having been saved out of Egypt to settle in the land of Canaan. They will soon be picking their way through a minefield of gods and goddesses that are designed to appeal to our god fantasies. God fantasies that will, in fact, cripple us or even kill us. The teaching and training in Leviticus continues to be adapted and reworked in every country and culture where God is forming a saved people to live as he created them to live, holy as he is holy. The first thing that strikes us as we read Leviticus in this light is that God is actually present with us. Nothing in us, our relationships, or our environment is left out. The second thing is that God provides a way, sacrifices and feasts and Sabbaths, to bring everything into his holy presence. An awesome thing. And like ancient Israel, we stand in his presence at every moment. Our Lord makes his habitation in us and among us and says, I am holy, you be holy. Once we realize this, the seemingly endless details and instructions of Leviticus become signposts of good news. God cares about the details of our lives, willing everything in and around us into the transformation that St. Paul elsewhere commends in Romans 12. So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, your eating, your going to work, your walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for Him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You will be changed from the inside out. And welcome to Leviticus. Oh, I am so glad that you read that. And I'm ready to read through Leviticus with a mind and a heart that sees the reason for this. Yes. Yes. So here we go. We're going to be starting out in Leviticus chapter one, and I'll be reading one through four today. God called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. Speak to the people of Israel. Tell them, when anyone presents an offering to God, present an animal from either the herd or the flock. If the offering is a whole burnt offering from the herd, present a male without a defect at the entrance to the tent of meeting that it may be accepted by God. Lay your hand on the head of the whole burnt offering so that it may be accepted on your behalf to make atonement for you. Slaughter the bull in God's presence. Aaron's sons, the priests, will make an offering of the blood by splashing it against all the sides of the altar that stands at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Next, skin the whole burnt offering and cut it up. Aaron's sons, the priests, will prepare a fire on the altar, carefully laying out the wood, and then arrange the body parts, including the head and the suet on the wood that's prepared for the fire on the altar. Scrub the entrails and legs clean. 
The priest will burn it all on the altar, the whole burnt offering, a fire gift, and a pleasing fragrance to God. If the whole burnt offering comes from a flock, whether sheep or goat, present a male without defect. Slaughter it on the north side of the altar in God's presence. The sons of Aaron, the priests, will throw the blood against all sides of the altar. Cut it up, and the priests will arrange the pieces, including the head and the suet, on the wood, preparing for burning on the altar. Scrub the entrails and legs clean. The priest will offer it all, burning it on the altar, a whole burnt offering, a fire gift, and a pleasing fragrance to God. If a bird is presented to God for the whole burnt offering, it can either be a dove or a pigeon. The priest will bring it to the altar, wring off its head, and burn it on the altar. Man, they weren't playing back then. I know. I'm still kind of stuck on the guy that had to scrub the entrails. Oh, yeah, that would not be a good job. Is that like being a bar back at a busy bar? I think the new the newbies were assigned to the oh, entrance. Man, that would not be a good day to be a newbie. Oh. The priest will bring it to the altar, wring off its head, and burn it on the altar. But he will first drain the blood on the side of the altar, remove the gizzard and its contents, and then throw them on the east side of the altar where the ashes are piled. Then rip it open by its wings and leave it in one piece and burn it on the altar on the wood that's prepared for the fire. A whole burnt offering, a fire gift, a pleasing fragrance to God. When you present a grain offering to God, use fine flour, pour oil on it, put incense on it, and bring it to Aaron's sons, the priests. One of them will take a handful of fine flour and oil with all of the incense and then burn it on the altar for a memorial, a fire gift, a pleasing fragrance to God. The rest of the grain offering is for Aaron and his sons, a most holy part of the fire gifts to God. When you present a grain offering of oven-baked loaves, use fine flour, mixed with oil but no yeast, or present wafers made without yeast and spread with oil. If you bring a grain offering cooked on a griddle, use fine flour mixed with oil but without yeast. Crumble it and pour oil on it. It is a grain offering. If you bring a grain offering deep fried in a pan, make it a fine flour with oil. How did they deep fry back then? I mean, you got to get that oil hot. Oh, that will happen over a fire. No problem. Okay, I guess I forgot they had fire. (laughs) (laughs) We're talking about burnt offerings here, so I'm not not sure. I'm just like, where did they plug in the deep fryer? I mean... You're a New Testament guy, aren't you? <laughs> oh, man. If you bring a grain offering deep fried in a pan, make it of fine flour with oil. Bring the grain offering that you make from these ingredients and present it to the priest. You know, I just thought the difference between the Bible today and the Bible back then is if they would rewrite the Bible today, it would be like, and they used Aunt Jemima pancake batter in the, I mean, there would be ads all over the place in this thing. There would be companies trying to jump on, sponsor a page. Oh yeah, this page is sponsored by Wesson Cooking Oil. See us for all your grain yeah, offering needs. That's right. Or- See us for all your burnt offering needs. Yes. <laughs> You're going to run the burnt oh, offering man. store? Oh man, that's right. Burnt offerings, buy one, get one. Um, We love you, God. (laughs) We love you, God. 
bring the grain offering that you make from these ingredients and present it to the priest. He will bring it to the altar, break off a memorial piece from the grain offering, and burn it on the altar, a fire gift, a pleasing fragrance to God. The rest of the grain offering is for Aaron and his sons, a most holy part of the gifts to God. All of the grain offerings that you present to God must be made without yeast. You must never burn any yeast or honey as a fire gift to God. You may offer them to God as an offering of first fruits, but not on the altar as a pleasing fragrance. Season every presentation of your grain offering with salt. Don't leave the salt of the covenant with your God out of your grain offerings. Present all of your offerings with salt. If you present a grain offering of first fruits to God, bring crushed heads of the new grain roasted. Put oil and incense on it. It's a grain offering. The priest will burn some of the mixed grain and oil with all of the incense as a memorial, a fire gift to God. If your offering is a peace offering and you present an animal from the herd, either male or female, it must be an animal without any defect. Lay your hand on the head of the offering and slaughter it at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Aaron's sons, the priests, will throw the blood on all sides of the altar. As a fire gift to God from the peace offering, present all the fat that covers or is connected to the entrails, the two kidneys and the fat around them at the loins, and the lobe of the liver that is removed along with the kidneys. Aaron and his sons will burn it on the altar along with the whole burnt offering that is on the wood prepared for the fire. A fire gift, a pleasing fragrance to God. If your peace offering to God comes from the flock, bring a male or female without defect. If you offer a lamb, offer it to God. Lay your hand on the head of your offering and slaughter it at the tent of meeting. The sons of Aaron will throw its blood on all sides of the altar. As a fire gift to God from the peace offering, present its fat, the entire fat tail cut off close to the backbone. All the fat that's on and connected to the entrails, the two kidneys and the fat around them on the loins, and the lobe of the liver which is removed along with the kidneys. The priest will burn it on the altar, a meal, a fire gift to God. If the offering is a goat, bring it into the presence of God, lay your hand on its head, and slaughter it in front of the tent of meeting. Aaron's sons will throw the blood on all sides of the altar. As a fire gift to God, present the fat that covers and is connected to the entrails, the two kidneys and the fat which is around them on the loins, and the lobe of the liver, which is removed along with the kidneys. The priest will burn them on the altar, a meal, a fire gift, a pleasing fragrance. All of the fat belongs to God. This is a fixed rule down through the generations wherever you happen to live. Don't eat the fat. Don't eat the blood, none of it. And we move into chapter four. All right. So does that mean I can't enjoy a medium rare steak? Oh, you know, Jesus has come. I oh, think I think man, it's okay. I really like a medium rare steak. I'm like my medical brain self is like it keeps mentioning kidneys in the lobe of the liver, kidney in the liver, right. kidney in yeah, the liver. Yeah, what's up with the lobe of the liver? The only thing that keeps coming to mind, and I may be very, very wrong in my thinking, but and I'll I want to research and find sure. out. 
the kidneys and the liver are filters in your body. It filters out the toxins and the bad things mm. and purifies. And I'm wondering if there's symbolism okay. in that with those very specific things. Fat also is a storage place in your body mm. for things. But the kidneys and liver's function specifically is to filter and cleanse and keep us healthy. And I'm wondering if those specific items are representative of what God does in our life. Well, even if it's not, like your analogy was pretty good. Well, thank you so much. <laughs> Please don't be laughing at me if I am way wrong. But... Oh, no, no. I thought I thought it was good. Thank you. It's good, yeah. And chapter four, we're ending out today. Thanks for following along. God spoke to Moses. Tell the Israelites. When a person sins unintentionally by straying from any of God's commands, breaking what must not be broken, if it's the anointed priest who sins and so brings guilt on the people, he is to bring a bull without defect to God as an absolution offering for the sin that he has committed. Have him bring the bull to the entrance of the tent of meeting in the presence of God. Lay his hand on the bull's head and slaughter the bull before God. He is then to take some of the bull's blood, bring it to the tent of meeting, and dip his finger in the blood, and sprinkle some of it seven times before God, before the curtain of the sanctuary. He is to smear some of the blood on the horns of the altar of fragrant incense before God, which is in the tent of meeting. He is to pour the rest of the bull's blood out at the base of the altar of whole burnt offering at the entrance of the tent of meeting. He is to remove all the fat from the bowl of the absolution offering, the fat which covers and is connected to the entrails, the two kidneys, and the fat that is around them at the loins, and the lobe of the liver, which he takes out along with the kidneys. The same procedure as when the fat is removed from the bowl of the peace offering. Finally, he is to burn all of this on the altar of burnt offering. Everything else, the bowl's hide, the meat, the head, legs, organs, and guts, he is to take outside the camp to a clean place where the ashes are dumped and is to burn it on a wood fire. If the congregation sins unintentionally by straying from one of the commandments of God that must not be broken, they become guilty even though no one is aware of it. When they do become aware of the sin that they've committed, the congregation must bring a bull as an absolution offering and present it at the tent of meeting. The elders of the congregation will lay their hands on the bull's head in the presence of God, and one of them will slaughter it before God. The anointed priest will then bring up some of the blood into the tent of meeting, dip his finger in the blood, and then sprinkle some of it seven times before God in front of the curtain. He will smear some of the blood on the horns of the altar, which is before God in the tent of meeting, and then pour the rest of it at the base of the altar of the whole burnt offering, at the entrance of the tent of meeting. He will remove all the fat and burn it on the altar. He will follow the same procedure with this bull as with the bull for the absolution offering. The priest makes atonement for them, and they are forgiven. And then they will take the bull outside the camp and burn it, just as they burned the first bull. It's the absolution offering for the congregation. When a ruler sins unintentionally by straying from one of the commands of his God, which must not be broken, he is guilty. When he becomes aware of the sin he has committed, he must bring a goat for his offering, a male without any defect, lay his hands on the head of the goat, and then slaughter it in the place where they slaughter the whole burnt offering in the presence of God, 
It's an absolution offering. The priest will then take some of the blood of the absolution offering with his finger, smear it on the horns of the altar of the whole burnt offering, and then pour the rest of it at the base of the altar. He will burn all of its fat on the altar, the same as with the fat of the peace offering. The priest makes atonement for him on account of his sin, and he's forgiven. When an ordinary member of the congregation sins unintentionally, straying from one of the commandments of God which must not be broken, he is guilty. When he is made aware of his sin, he shall bring a goat, a female, without any defect, and offer it for his sin, lay his hands on the head of the absolution offering, and then slaughter it at the place of the whole burnt offering. The priest will then take some of its blood with his finger and then smear it on the horns of the altar of the whole burnt offering, and then pour the rest at the base of the altar. Finally, he'll take out all of the fat, the same as with the peace offerings, and then burn it on the altar for a pleasing fragrance to God. In this way, the priest makes atonement for him, and he's forgiven. If he brings a lamb for an absolution offering, he shall present a female without any defect. Lay his hand on the head of the absolution offering and then slaughter it at the same place where they slaughter the whole burnt offering. The priest will then take some of the blood of the absolution offering with his finger, smear it on the horns of the altar of burnt offering, and then pour the rest at the base of the altar. He shall remove all the fat, the same as with the lamb of the peace offering, and then finally the priest will burn it on the altar on top of the gifts to God. In this way, the priest makes atonement for him on account of his sin, and he is forgiven. Oh, and here we are. And here we are, four chapters into Leviticus. I love it. And we know all about cleaning animals now. I'm not going to do that. I, You know, I've never really been a big hunter, and, you know, God bless them, but I just, I mean, when I see pictures of deer hanging up in people and then they're you know skinning it and the guts and i just i'm like yeah just call me when the meat's ready and i'll be there to eat and i'm like they were beautiful when they were running around i'm such an animal lover and i struggle my my whole thing with it is and i get it i'm an animal lover too but my whole thing is if you're gonna be a hunter Mm -hmm. use what you take yes like God is giving you a beautiful gift. Yes. So be respectful of that Recognize. gift. Don't trophy hunt. Yes. Don't, you know, if if you don't like the meat, then do something with it. Because there's plenty of people who would Absolutely. love that meat. Don't kill something just to display horns or a head or to get a picture or just to kill something. In God address treatment of animals, I don't think trophy hunting is something he's pleased with. Every single creature, every single thing on this earth was specifically created by God himself. And I think we need to have reverence towards everything, especially living creatures. I know most people don't love animals like I do. I'm not anti-hunter. I'm I'm not. No, I hear you. But I believe so strongly in respecting life, all life. Well, and that ends it for us today. <laughs> we are... We are happy that we love animals. I know. I know. I sound like such a preacher. I don't mean to. It's not that at all. It's just uh, respect the earth and what God has given us. And it's a gift. Mm -hmm. And 
treated as such, you know, it's, it's like, don't throw trash on the road and don't, you know, just all that little stuff. I mean, it's just respect the place Absolutely. that you're in. Life is beautiful in every single form because God designed it. I heard somebody say once, uh, I go into a situation always looking, how can I leave it a little bit better mm-hmm. when I leave the situation? And that's, you know, how can we make our little area, our little piece of real estate in this crazy thing called life? Mm-hmm. What can we do to make it better? And we hope that this journey through the message makes it better for you. So thanks again for joining along with us today. We appreciate having you along. If you would like to continue the conversation, check us out on our Facebook group. We've got some fun little (laughs) challenges happening there right now. And uh, we may even have a sing along again. Oh, you were Oh, I was riveted by your singing through Exodus. Well, you know, there's plenty of there's plenty of Bible left. So I'm just saying we may have an opportunity for another sing along. So friends, have a great day and be blessed. Look forward to being back here with you.